Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. The question for today is, do you know your calling? And what I mean by that is, has God ever told you what you specifically are supposed to do with your life? When I was 20 years old, majoring with philosophy in college, God turned my car around and said, no, you're to be a preacher. Well, today we're going to look at Isaiah's calling. And if you know the great old hymn, Holy, 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 that hymn comes from the day in the Old Testament God called Isaiah to become a prophet. Let me set this up before we turn to the passage. The year is about 740 B.C. King Uzziah has died after 50 years of reigning in peace and prosperity. Perhaps Isaiah is depressed, the king is dead. Isaiah goes into the temple, and in the temple, God shows himself to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, basically I think the point is, the king isn't dead, the king is still alive and on his throne. And then Isaiah receives his call. You are to become a prophet. Today, let's do this. Let's study this great story from the Old Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and let's learn about how to discover God's call for your life. Let's pray first. Father, we do pray for anyone watching this program that doesn't exactly know what you want them to do. God, reveal to them, like you did to Isaiah, your plan for their life. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Old Testament book of Isaiah, we turn to chapter 6. Here we go, Isaiah talking. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple, high and lifted up. Here's the first lesson from those words, high and lifted up. God is separate from his creation. He's high and he's lifted up. God is not to be identified with his creation. He's transcendent. He's separate from his creation. Now, most Buddhists and Hindus are pantheists. Pan means everything. Theos means God. Now, pantheos believes everything is God. Uh, this pulpit's God. The book is God. The camera here is God. Your living room is God. And if you're a New Age pantheist like Shirley MacLaine, you are God. Shirley MacLaine said to Oprah, be still and know that you are God. And the, the Bible teaches, no, you're not. God is God. He's separate from, he's transcendent above his creation. Verse 2. Now again, he's, Isaiah's in the temple having this vision of God. Seraphim stood above God, each having six wings. With two, the seraphim covered his face. With two, he covered, he talked about his own face, his own feet, not God's. And with two, he flew. 
Now, let's talk about the word seraphim. The word seraphim only appears once in the whole Bible, and it's right here, Isaiah chapter 6. Literally, the word seraphim means burning, fiery ones. They were some kind of angelic creature with six wings. It looks like their purpose was to praise God and to communicate with Isaiah. In different places, the Bible talks about um, uh, cherubim and angels and demons. And so here's the next lesson. There is an unseen realm. If you go to a church that uses the Nicene Creed, you say regularly, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. That means there is this group of creatures that we can't see, angels, demons. Verse 3, And one seraphim called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There were angels at that worship service. And you know that the Apostle Paul, thousands, hundreds of years later in 1 Corinthians 11, says that angels attend our worship services. Maybe they're invisibly there singing, holy, holy, holy. Also, do you know, when you're in church, maybe the person next to you is not a person. That can be an angel. The angels can do things like that. So there's this unseen realm. Um, and the word holy is what they're singing. The word holy means this set apart, separate from. So when you say God is holy, you're saying he's set apart from us. He's separate from us. In other words, Shirley MacLaine, we ain't him. And the fact that they sing holy, 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 that word three times, some believe that's a hint of the Trinity. The, the doctrine of the Trinity, one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is not spelled out in the Old Testament. You just get hints of it. And in a minute, God is going to say, who will go for us to serve us? And again, some people think that's a hint of the Trinity. And you know what's amazing? If you read the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 41, there's a reference to this vision of Isaiah. And John says that the God that Isaiah saw in the temple is Jesus. Jesus is God. Check that out. John chapter 12, verse 41. Uh, the point is, the New Testament is much more clear on what the Trinity is. The Old Testament, you just get hints. And one last thing before we leave verse 3. The seraphim says, the whole earth is full of God's glory. The Apostle Paul, 700 years later, would teach the same thing in Romans chapter 1, that everybody, atheists included, know there's a God because of the power and glory of God in his creation. Look at verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds of the temple trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the whole temple was filling with smoke. Here's the next lesson. A close encounter with God can be terrifying. When I was 16 years old, I was a Christian, but I started to doubt things. And I prayed one day, God, would you give me some proof that you're up there? And I had this dream that I was at the top of the Roman Colosseum walking down toward the center. All these people were sitting in the rows. Over here was Jesus and the people were grabbing him and pawing him and trying to get healed. I thought I'd be nice and leave him alone, and I kept walking. 
And in the dream, Jesus came over to me and he hugged me. And his teeth were real white and his hair was real black. And when he hugged me, I got this supernatural feeling. And I woke up and I think for a while I could still feel this presence like I've still never felt. And it was my proof that there is a supernatural God. I, I tell you that because when that was happening, tears were rolling down my cheeks. It scared me to death. And do you know what I prayed for years after that, before I'd go to bed? God, you don't have to visit me tonight. <laughs> it scared me. I think what Isaiah had was a rather kind of awesome, terrifying, close encounter with God. Look at verse 5. Here's Isaiah's response. Then I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people, the Jews, of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's Isaiah's threefold response to seeing the holy God. Number one, woe is me. I deserve God's wrath. Number two, I am lost. I need salvation. And number three, I am unclean. I need to be cleansed. Now let me ask you this. Have you come to that point in your life? Do you know you are lost and you deserve hell and that you need to be cleansed by Christ? If you don't know that, you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I've, ta I've taught lots of confirmation classes, and before I confirm a student, I would always talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, and the question I would ask little Jimmy or Susie, Jim, do you believe you deserve to go to hell? And if I got, oh no, pastor, then I understood they don't get it. <laughs> the thing you need to understand before Christ will make sense is, woe to me, I am lost, I need a savior. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched it to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. If you are like Isaiah, and you know you deserve God's wrath, then here's the first thing God says to you. You are cleansed. Your guilt is taken away away. And I want you to notice, what's the first thing God cleans? Isaiah's mouth. Isaiah, the rest of his life now, will be using his mouth to preach for God. So that's the first thing he cleans. I don't know about you, I had my mouth washed out with soap by mom more than once when I was five, six, seven years old. And the first thing God cleans is Isaiah's mouth. So let me ask you this question. Have you let God clean your mouth? I get grieved when I hear a Christian say, Oh my God, you know, that's a violation of the second commandment. Yesterday after church, I went to McDonald's. Uh, uh, at the next table was this old man who talked about his church for a minute, and then he starts swearing like a sailor, starts talking about his Playboy magazine collections. Have you let God clean your mouth? Now, you might say, you know, I know I shouldn't say those words, but they come out of my mouth. Well, I, I, I understand, but notice, who cleans Isaiah's mouth in this verse? Did Isaiah clean his own mouth? No. God sent the angel to clean his mouth. And w when I go to the dentist, I don't clean my teeth. The dentist cleans my teeth. And, you know, maybe you've got a bitter, critical tongue. 
or maybe you've got a foul tongue, or maybe you've got a gossipy tongue. I will agree, you can't clean that yourself, but you can be Isaiah, go into the presence of God and say, God, would you clean my mouth? I mean, I've had foot-in-mouth disease more than once. You know what I've learned to, to, to pray? God, control my mouth today. And you know what's, what's happened? It doesn't happen much on a rare occasion. I'm about to say something, and I'll get dizzy, as if I think that's the Lord saying, do you really want to say that? So Isaiah comes before the holy God. He says, I'm lost, and God says three things. Okay, number one, I'm going to cleanse your mouth. I'm going to take your guilt away. Second thing God says in verse 7, your sin is forgiven. Second thing God says, your sin is forgiven. This is maybe the reason for the whole vision. Because Isaiah is going to have to serve God the rest of his life. You can't serve God if you don't believe he forgives your sins. I mean, um, the, uh, there was a man by the name of Brownlow North. He was a Scottish evangelist in the 1800s. One night before he gets in the pulpit, somebody hands him a piece of paper. Dear Brownlow, remember me? I was your drinking buddy in Paris. Remember when you did this? And remember when you did that? And he lists these things. I defy you to get in the pulpit tonight and preach. Story goes, Brownlow North took the letter into the pulpit, read every word, and said, my friends, this is all true and worse. But there was a day when God said, Brownlow North, thy sins are forgiven thee. And if God could forgive me, he could forgive any person here tonight. Story goes, people started crying. People started having a little revival there that night. Listen, the only way I can get on television and preach to you is because I know God forgives my sins. You can't serve God with a joyful heart if you don't believe he forgives your sins. Daily. Um, there's an abortion clinic here in the Twin Cities. Every Good Friday we have a large prayer service in front of the abortion clinic. Uh, one year they asked the Catholic priest to preach for five minutes, the Baptist preacher to preach for five minutes, and then yours truly the Lutheran to preach for five minutes. The Baptist had such a powerful message, and he said this. We need to avoid two extremes. The first extreme is to say abortion is not a sin. That mocks the cross, because Jesus went to the cross to pay for all sins, including abortion. It is a sin. But he said the other extreme to avoid is to say he can't forgive me of this sin. That mocks the cross because Jesus went to the cross to pay for the sin of abortion. And, and the point is, you've got to believe God forgives your sins. If you don't, you won't serve him. But if you do believe he forgives your sins, you become Isaiah in the next verse when God says, who will go for us? I will, says Isaiah, I will. When you know he forgives your sins, I mean, that, that's what got me to be a preacher. I'll tell you what, when I was 20 years old, I took a course in evangelism. And the course taught us, you can't get to heaven by being good enough because you're not. It's because God sent Jesus on the cross to pay for your sins. Because of Christ, you can know your sins are forgiven. That changed my life. That made me want to become a preacher and preach it. You can't serve God joyfully if you don't think he forgives your sins. 
So if, if, if you will be in Isaiah and admit you deserve hell, number one, God will take your guilt away. Number two, he says, I forgive your sins. And the third thing God says is verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Your sins are forgiven, your guilt's taken away, but then the third thing God says is, I have a purpose for your life. Yes, Isaiah, you've got a foul mouth, but I'm going to clean that mouth and I'm going to use that mouth for my glory. Back to the original question we started with. Do you know God's calling for your life? Has God specifically told you what to do with your life? If he has, get back to that. Spend your life majoring in what God told you to do. But if God has not told you what to do with your life, then start to seek him. I had to do this for two and a half years. God, what exactly do you want me to do with my life? And that's when he said, preacher. But that took two and a half years. So seek, I, I just close the sermon saying this. I ask you to be Isaiah. Come before the Holy God, confess your sins, let God forgive you, and then when God tells you what he wants you to do with your life, then you say, here am I, send me. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, in light of your sermon, how does one really discover God's purpose for their life? Mm -hmm. And you know, I, Jackie, I don't think many people hear a voice from heaven like Isaiah did or have, I, can't, I won't go into it, but I kind of had a bit of a supernatural turning around. I think most people just God slowly in his way reveals it to them. And uh, but I do think we need to seek it. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God in faith and he will give it to you. So I did that and I asked God, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Now, it can take some time. It took me two and a half years to hear the answer. But to seek the Lord is, is the main thing. Is there a time frame? I mean, God works in different... Yeah, everybody's different, I think. Yeah. Okay. It, so... You know what else helps, though? Ask people around you, what do you think my gifts are? What am I good at? Yeah. Now, you know, because no offense, some people who are preaching are so boring in the pulpit, you wonder, did God call you to do that? Okay. So can you describe, we've talked about pantheism, polytheism, deism, mm -hmm. and theism. Yeah. Are they connected, separate? No, they're, or? they're separate. Let me explain what they are. Christians are mono-one theism. Theists, God. Monotheism believes in one God. Christians are monotheists. Uh, Jews are monotheists. Muslims are monotheists. <coughs> um, I'm not saying we believe in the same one God. Okay. I was just going <laughs> to say, we believe but we in have one God. <clears throat> no, I think not. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, you've got Hindus, and they are poly, poly meaning many, theists. They believe in many gods, you know, Shiva, Krishna, etc. Uh, so there's the, uh, monotheists, there's polytheists, there's pantheists, which is kind of a lot of Buddhists and, and even Hindus are pantheists. They believe God is everything, everything is God. New Age movement tends to believe we are God, you are God, everything is God. In fact, Jackie, the worst thing I ever heard Oprah say, and she says some pretty Lulus, Oprah says she's a Christian, and then she said this, 
I used to believe Jesus came to die for our sins. Now I believe he came to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. In other words, we're all the Christ. No, we're not. So that's called pantheism. Everything is God. God is everything. Theism is a belief in a personal God, that there's a real God with a mind who acts, etc. And Christians are also, also theists. Okay. Yeah. Well, poor Oprah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pray for her. She always says she's a Christian. She says she's a Christian and then preaches New Age, mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle, New Age nonsense. Okay. Pastor Brock, does God still speak to people today like he spoke to Isaiah? Mm-hmm. Do people... Here? Well, you know, I, I, you can't rule it out. God can do anything. Um, the, the sure way God speaks to every believer is through the Bible, which is why if people are, are out there asking for God to speak to them, well, then open your Bible. 98% of what God wants you to know, he's already told you, which is I read my Bible every day. This is the way God speaks to us. Now, can God supernaturally, audibly speak from heaven? He can do anything. But the sure way is here. But there are some preachers who say they have heard from God. Uh, I won't tell you his name, but there was some evangelist teaching on t- preaching on TV. And in the middle of his sermon, he says, excuse me, folks. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he was getting direct revelation from God right in the middle of his sermon. Jackie, the re- I mean, I'm not saying God can't do that. The reason I don't believe it from this evangelist is because of what he preaches. He's one of these health and wealth preachers, preachers that it's all about you and getting you money, et cetera, and, and health, et cetera. So. so how can someone tell if it's a vision from God or if it's counterfeit mm-hmm. from the devil? That is a good question. And here's the reason. St. Paul writes that Satan can appear as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. And then he, Paul says, no wonder his, his, uh, his prophets are appearing as real preachers because you've got false preachers in the church who say they're Christians and then they preach abortion, homosexuality, universalism, etc. So Paul is saying, Jackie, if you have an angel float into your bedroom tonight and give you a word from the Lord, that might be the devil in counterfeit. So how do you know? Well, again, you test everything against the written word of God. And if God, if you have an angel in your, in your bedroom tonight telling you that you need to kill your husband, Fred, well, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. So that's not an angel. That's the devil of Jackie. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. I promise I won't. <laughs> don't, take, don't kill that husband. Right. He's our director. How can, how can a person be assured that God really has forgiven their sins? Mm-hmm. There's a few different ways. Number one, you claim scripture. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first way is you confess your sins, you believe in Christ. The promise of 1 John 1, 9, and God doesn't break his promise, is that when you confess, he indeed forgives. That's one way. Yeah. You know, another way is... the Bible says in James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. And sometimes, Jackie, a Christian has a hard time God believing God forgives them. So they need to confess their sins to a friend, a Christian friend, a pastor, or a priest, and then the absolution is pronounced that, indeed, I forgive your sins in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's good to have somebody actually say that to you. But people don't stop sinning, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's part well, of the problem. Here's the thing. 
Yes and no, Jackie. If I sin and I fight to serve the Lord and then I sin again, there's forgiveness for that. If you're living in the sin and there's no fight, you're not sorry, okay. then 1 Corinthians 6 says you're not going to heaven. You can't live in impenitent sin and be saved. You can sin, we all do, but we, when we sin, we repent. Yeah. Pastor Brock, is there anything in the Bible that says what angels look like? I mean, you see, mm -hmm. you hear people say, I had an angel mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. What does an angel really look like? Well, we have Christmas angels. Yeah, and it never says they have wings, except the seraphim had six wings. Other than that, though, it never says the angels have wings in the Bible. Uh, if you remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds on Christmas, uh, they were shiny, they were bright. So they, you know, this bright man in a white robe, that's in, the, in, in when Jesus rose from the dead, they, there were two men in white robes. So that's biblical. But the halos aren't in the Bible. The wings aren't in the Bible except for the seraphim. Okay. So what is the most important of Isaiah's prophecies yeah. since he was the prophet. Isaiah wrote about 740 BC. The most important thing he wrote was Isaiah 53, which is one of the clearest prophecies that somebody is going to come and die to pay for the sins of mankind so we can be saved. Written 740 BC. So I encourage you, take out Isaiah chapter 53 and we know it was before the fact because the Dead Sea Scrolls, have, which were 200 B.C., have Isaiah in them. So you can't say, well, he wrote it after the fact. No way. 700 B.C., uh, Isaiah chapter 53. So if the Dead Sea Scrolls talk about Isaiah, how, who, how did that all come Yeah, about? the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1948 in, in this cave in, in Israel. And there, it's basically portions of the Old Testament. Isaiah's in there. Okay. Yeah. So that's the Dead Sea Scrolls. That, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1948. There, it's a huge collection of Old Testament books and other writings, and it's, it was a huge discovery. Yeah. Okay. And who takes ownership of those? I th well, they're in a, a museum in Israel. Okay. Yeah. We want to thank you for being with us. Um, we're just so thankful to God for his many blessings that he has kept this ministry going and that... It is expanding daily almost, and I can't tell you how many times people come up and thank us for this show. And as we're entering the holiday season, we just want to wish you and your families wonderful holidays and that you keep Jesus as the reason for the season. And we'll see you next time on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.